Viktor Frankl said, Everything can be taken from a man but one thing, the last of the human freedoms. To choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's way. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson. Stay tuned for the next hour as Sue explores the human psyche, what makes us tick and how to live better, more fulfilled and more meaningful lives. Only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human. And my guest today is Tanya Rubin, which I'm very excited about. And our topic is Life's Demands. You can SMS us on 34519 or you can telegram us on 061-895-1019. Goethe says, Life belongs to the living and he who lives must be prepared for changes. We are going to be discussing many things today, but welcome Tanya, it's so good to have you here. Tanya is a, a qualified social worker in private practice. She also um, has um, her um, a BA honors in psych through UNISA, and then she decided to study logotherapy through UNISA Center for Applied Psychology. Her passion is in fertility counseling, which she's been involved in since 2005, and she's in private practice, and uh, her counseling is to help pay, uh, couples navigate the many emotional needs and spiritual demands of the journey of infertility. Welcome, Tanya. Thank you, Sue. I know there's a lot more to be said about you. You were in addiction training before that. I mean, you're in, in addiction counseling for 10 mm. years. So you've got a lot of experience. How do you feel being here today? Thank you for having me. Um, I think it's an honor, and I think that it's an exciting topic. I think that we're all looking for meaning in lives. I think we're all looking for direction, and I think that it's exciting to find, to have an opportunity to talk about it. So I think there are many, many avenues to discuss. I'm so pleased you said that, Tanya, because lately, this entire year, actually, people have been saying, how do I find purpose in my life? How do I find meaning? And you and I both know that you can never give someone else meaning, and it is a journey towards finding it. And uh, and here we are today just to give a few perhaps examples of um, of how people have found meaning. If you don't mind me asking, how, what, what made you decide to actually go into this the healing professions? Um, so I think... I always wanted to go into an, a helping profession, but didn't kind of know which direction and why. And I think two pivotal events happened in my life. So the first one was when I was in matric, my father passed away suddenly. And it kind of pushed me in a direction I didn't know which way to go. So I wanted to study pharmacy. <laughs> and when my father passed away six weeks before finals, I had applied for everything other than counseling. Um, but that pushed me in the direction of social work. Mm. Um, and at the time, I thought, well, I'll just do a degree that can kind of help me find some kind of direction in my life to find meaning or find answers as to why that had happened and find a way of answering questions for myself as opposed to other people. Um, and I suppose at the time it was the greatest blessing in that it gave me enormous direction and enormous, an enormous sense of fulfillment um, in being a true social worker and finding which way to go. And I think the second pivotal moment for me was when I got married and we, my husband and I were struggling to fall pregnant. 
And that gave me the direction of where I am now in that it allowed me my own fertility journey pushed me into finding the second or continue to find more meaning in our lives in terms of where now and what do we do and what lessons can we learn from this. Um, not to say that people have to go through suffering in order to find meaning, but I think that it allows you to find different direction and it gives you choices and it allows you to access those choices and then move forward. That's absolutely amazing what you've just said. And what you have said is that you've found your own way forward. You actually found what was meaningful in your loss, that loss of your dad, which mm. must have come as a terrible shock at the time. And yet you navigated your way through that towards finding a, a greater meaning that you could bring into your life and into your life's a subsequent work. Mm. Yeah, it definitely pushed me into fulfilling my life and work and kind of joining the two together. And I think that's where maybe, um, as you started off the quote with Viktor Frankl, it was about finding ways of directing your life and finding, navigating that journey in order to push you into that direction. And if anyone had pushed you into that direction, how would you have felt if you were being pushed? I think that the push... For me, it had to come from me. I think that if people had told me this is what you had to do, this is what you needed to do, and I think at the time, I remember being, I was 18 at the time, or had just turned 18, so many people came and told me what to do and how to feel and how to react, and being a bit of an angry teenager at the time, <laughs> I didn't want to know from them what I needed to do. I needed to find that for myself. So I think that was that gave me my own direction, and I think that sometimes you need to find your own compass. You need to know which direction you have to go for you, yes, with guidance, but sometimes you need to find that within yourself. That's so true, because it is totally unique to you. And, sorry, I've just had my speaker move. Suffering in itself is actually meaningless unless we become more aware of our own choices mm. within it mm. and, and face those choices, look at them, actually unpack them. I think mm. in my own life as a very young child, probably I was seven, I was told that my brother was dying and mm. he was going to be uh, dead by the time he was 12. And it, I think that shaped so much of my, my life and my, my eventual choice of, of where, what, who I became as well. So mm. sometimes the greatest shocks in our lives that we perhaps try and hide from uh, are also the ones that do steer us in a different direction. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is the demand quality of life, isn't it? Yeah. Is what life demands of us. Mm -hmm. And uh, and each step, it's like someone was saying to me they were going to be doing a marathon, and they said, oh, that just is so exhausting. And I said, well, why do you do it? And they said, to challenge themselves. Mm -hmm. Well, I couldn't imagine a worse challenge. But anyway, <laughs> I was thinking I've never run a marathon. I must admit, I have to be honest. But I have climbed mountains, <laughs> not just uh, in my mind, but actually as a you know youngster uh, climbing mountains. Mm -hmm. And I remember reaching the peak and thinking, oh, thank God, there's the peak. We're about to be there and getting to the top and realizing there's a valley we've still got to go through to the next peak. Mm -hmm. And then so it went on. Mm -hmm. And Catching my breath and thinking, oh, my gosh, there's another mountain to climb. And isn't this what life is like? It's And as a marathon, you come around the corner thinking, okay, it must be the end just over there. 
and uh, you have to go through another mm. another round, and mm. so it goes on. Absolutely. I heard a, um, a talk the other day by Rabbi Ash, and he was talking about how life, it's not only about the destination, but it's about the journey. And if you look at the journey almost like a ways or like a GPS monitor, it always redirects you. But eventually you're going to get to where you need to be. It, it's just about redirecting the route. And I suppose that's exactly what you're talking about. It's almost like whatever challenges you face, whatever direction you need to get, you'll eventually get there. But it's just about finding the right route for you. So whatever the challenges are, whatever the pain or the suffering or the immense trauma that people go through, and I see it in my work all the time, it's about trying to find which route you, you need to go for you, which, whichever route it is, in order to get to your own destination. Mm-hmm. And eventually you get there irrespective of what the pain or suffering or trauma is. That is so true. And sometimes failure does come in. And, mm. you know, looking back on the failures of our lives, we often recognize them as actual stepping stones. Mm. You know, that they, they felt like such failures at the time. And I'm sure in your work you see this, that so often something feels like, especially in fertility, it feels like a failure. You think, I'll never get through this, and I don't even know if I can redo it again. I don't know if I've got the strength for it. And yet, with a bit of... <laughs> Tanya holds a, 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 a pen, and she's just <laughs> dropped it on the floor and is feeling quite lost, but it's okay, we're going to advert. You can pick it up. <laughs> This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. This is Sue Jackson. My guest is Tanya Rubin. Our topic is life's demands, and we've just been having a good laugh about the demands right now when Tanya had to pick up her pen quickly. We are now going to just listen to a very short YouTube by Viktor Frankl on why idealists are realists, and then we'll get back to discussing that. Excuse me, but uh, I know I am speaking a marvelous accent without the slightest English. You won't believe it. Gray, uh, gray hair, my age. I started taking flying lessons recently. Do you know what my flying instructor told me? If you are starting here, wish to get here, say east, heading for this, and you have a crosswind, you will drift and you will land here. So you have to do what we pilots call a crabbing, he told me. C-R-A-B, crabbing. You have to head for north of this uh, uh, airfield air and you have to fly that way, you see, as if you headed in this direction. If you are heading here above this airfield, then you will actually land here. But if you head for here, you are landing here. This holds also for man, I would say. If we, if we take man as he really is, we make him worse. But if we overestimate him, it's premature your applause, you will soon know why. If we, if we seem to be idealists and are overestimating, overrating man and looking at him that high here above, you know what happens? We promote him to what he really can be. 
So we have to be idealists in a way, because then we wind up as the true, the real realists. And you know who has said this? If we take man as he is, we make him worse. But if we take man as he should be, we make him capable of becoming what he can be. This was not my flight instructor, this was not me, this was Goethe. He said this verbally. And now you will understand why I, in one of my writings, once said, this is the most apt maxim and motto for any psychotherapeutic activity. So if you don't recognize a young man's will to meaning, man's search for meaning, you make him worse, you make him dull, you make him frustrated, you still add and contribute to his frustration. While if you presuppose in this man, if in this so-called criminal or juvenile delinquent or drug abuse and so forth, there must be a, a what we call spark, yeah? a spark of search for meaning. Let's recognize this. Let's presuppose it. And then you will elicit it from him and you will make him become what he in principle is capable of becoming. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson. I'm back with Tanya Rubin. And you can SMS us on 34519 or telegram us on 061-895-1019. We have just been listening to Victor Frankl, and I just wanted to just say something on on humor. Um, I never forget, uh, Victor Frankl talks about an idealist and seeing man as they can be. But I'll never forget when I was nursing. I was a nursing sister, and it was in the old gen in Hillbrow. And we were doing rounds, and the doctor and I were doing rounds in the morning, and we had a patient came in, and he came in frequently, and he had jaundice, and he was a heavy drinker, but heck of a nice guy, I must admit. And the doctor said to him, asked him, um, well, what's happening now? And he said, ach, doctor, this must happening. <laughs> And you know what, uh, uh, for those of you who don't know what Morse is, it means it's, well, it's just happening. This is as it is. And, uh, you know, it was such an unexpected answer that we actually burst out laughing. He was definitely not about to take responsibility <laughs> for his, his drinking habit. Do you agree that sometimes by seeing somebody as their greater self, we can actually help them become greater to fulfill that role. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why I love the theory and the practice of Viktor Frankl and logotherapy so much in that Viktor Frankl always looked at or teach the, the, the teachings show you how to look beyond the person. So it's not just about taking people for what they are and looking at them at face value. It's always about seeing beyond what they are. And one of the things that Viktor Frankl spoke about so often is almost allowing people or, or you bearing witness to their pain. So mm. when you are bearing witness, sometimes just being there and being present and just being there for them, if you can see their greater self, sometimes it allows them to see it too. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes if you're able to see their potential, they can start living it too for them. You know, they can start living it for themselves. Because I think when you're in that pain and suffering and when you're in that cycle of whatever trauma or tragedy it is, whether you're dealing with 
cancer, whether you're dealing with bereavement, whether you're dealing with the fertility, um, the trauma of fertility that I deal with on a daily basis, sometimes people are so stuck in their trauma that they cannot see beyond it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes Mm -hmm. you have to see it for them. If you can see their greater self, then you push them towards action or push them towards the other side. That's so true. You actually push them towards seeing a different meaning within that suffering and, and that they will elicit it themselves. In, in this, do you ever share your, your own self, your own story mm. with, with your patients? Mm. I think it's important. I think that when you are, because I've been through my own fertility journey, not to say that my journey is what gives people hope, but I think that I can understand what it's like to be a patient. Um, I, I know what it feels like to sit in those waiting rooms. I know what it's like to go through Um, test after test, scan after scan, doctor's appointment after doctor's appointment, and I know what it feels like to have one grief on top of another, on top of another, and I think that it's important for people to know that I know what they're feeling. Um, So even though people's journeys are different, um, I think just having that understanding or that empathy helps. So I definitely do share my journey with patients in in my offices, in my therapy situations. And that is actually what you've just shared is just so important because I think it's very much in fertility, especially there is so much grief, so much mm. loss mm. that is so often disenfranchised. It's, it's not really looked at mm. because a lot of people don't even know what, uh, what the person is going through. It's, it's often a silent grief. Mm. And uh, I'm sure you've had to, you have to deal with that often. Yeah, absolutely. I always say when people ask what I do, I say as much as it's facility counseling, it really is grief counseling because there is, there's, there's silent grief on an ongoing basis and there's trauma on an ongoing basis. So it's definitely a disenfranchised or displaced grief. And I think mm-hmm. often, often for so many people, there's no frame of reference. So they don't really know how to deal with that grief mm-hmm. or where to put it. Mm-hmm. And other people around them don't know how to deal with it either. And, uh, and you actually help them by, by showing them what, you know, what can actually come out of this. Yeah. By being yourself. What made you do logotherapy? Um, I think for me, it was, all, I was continually searching for meaning and meaning in my work and helping people find meaning through their own suffering. So I came across logotherapy and thought, this is perfect. This is how I'm going to help people find meaning within their suffering. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hi, this is Sue Jackson. My guest today is Tanya Rubin, and we're talking about life's demands. If you'd like to contact us, you may, we'd love to hear from you. 34519, telegram 061 we're about to listen to a Victor Frank, another very short Victor Frankel YouTube on finding meaning in pain. We're going to meet Victor Frankel, the internationally famous psychiatrist, writer, and lecturer. He deals with the most common ailment of our time, meaninglessness. Certainly nobody of us is spared suffering at one time or another. But everybody in the midst of suffering, he's given, a ch- he's given a chance to bear testimony of the human potential at its best, which is to turn a personal tragedy into a human triumph. Dr. Frankel, what is meant by logotherapy? Uh, therapy means uh, healing. 
and logos means meaning. Thus, logotherapy is really healing through meaning, although this, of course, is an oversimplification. The lesson one could learn in Auschwitz and in other concentration camps in the final analysis was those who were oriented toward a meaning, toward a meaning to be fulfilled by them in the future, were most likely to survive. Is a finite freedom, a limited freedom, that is to say a human being is never fully free from conditions, be they of biological or psychological or sociological uh, kind. But the ultimate freedom is always and remains always reserved to ourselves. That is the freedom to take a stand to whatever conditions might confront us. How we react to the unchangeable conditions is up to ourselves. In other words, if we cannot change the situation, we have always the last freedom to change our attitude to that situation. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson with Tanya Rubin, and we've just been listening to Dr. Um, Victor Frankel, Professor Victor Frankel, in on um, the meaning be- beyond the pain. And suffering in itself is totally meaningless unless we do become more aware of it and we question it. And as you said when you lost your dad, you, you began to question your life. You began to look at things differently. And um, and I think that's what life, that's what the demand quality of life is. It questions us hourly, moment by moment, we are questioned by life. Do you agree? Mm, absolutely. I think that we, we're not just empty vessels. So if we don't question life, what, what would be the point? So we have to question constantly. And I think exactly as Viktor Frankl said there, we almost have a responsibility to question. Mm. So we have to question and so then we push ourselves forward. So we can take that suffering and just use it and exist or we can push beyond it. And use, he mentioned there, he used the word choice. So we can take the situation and we have a choice as to what we're going to do with it. So true. And he, you know what, he talks about the tragic triad of life, mm. the, the, the suffering, the, the guilt, the, pain. the pain, the death. And, and that is part of our lives. And it's what, it's, it's part of everybody's life. Mm. And what we do with that is our own unique choice and it always amazes me to actually see how people do choose to to work within that tragic triad when i was um, at um, children's hospital many many years ago i never forget seeing how different children responded to their pain their suffering Mm. and there was one particular little boy that i have always remembered and he had been severely abused 
and he was in healing and he was being put up for adoption. And in the morning, we used to have to go around and injections were given to the children. It was, it was a painful time in the morning. And this little boy used to, every day used to entertain the ward. He was hilarious actually. And sometimes I remember one occasion when he put a, a, a his pillow slip over his head and pretended to be the ghost. And the ghost came in to fix everybody. You know, it was a good ghost, a happy ghost. And I mean, he got everyone laughing, you know, and he changed that entire atmosphere from one of pain yeah. to one of humor. And uh, which it was just so amazing that he himself had been able to self-transcend his own pain mm. in order to help the other children. Mm. Mm. It was, it was, I've never forgotten it. Yeah. He was such a role model yeah. to me and he was such a little boy. Yeah, and it's incredible that I think it's also very much based on personality. And I think I see that all the time where you look at different types of fertility situations um, where people are diagnosed with whatever their treatment journey is or their their issues are or their complications are. And I think people then have choices as to how they're going to deal with it. And some people will sit within the suffering and only focus on what the journey is. And some people will, like you said, transcend beyond it and look at how they're going to focus on it or push beyond it and make different choices. And people will then use different methods or different ways of dealing with it that can get them beyond the pain. But some people aren't able to. And I think it depends very much on the personality and how they view it. And someone as young as that is able to see what the real meaning is. Do you think as logotherapists we can actually assist our our patients to actually see that there is another world out there that's perhaps needing them. Mm. So I think I think logotherapy definitely helps. I mean, I use logotherapy in my daily existence as well as in my work. I use many elements of logotherapy as well as my other training. So I think that it definitely, I think you can help people when they want to be helped. I think you can point out areas and elements to them and I think you can help them find those and Viktor Frankl often spoke about meaning moments which I love because I think that you can you can point those meaning moments out to people when often they can't see them for themselves mm -hmm. so I think that you can definitely help guide them and hopefully that pushes them in a different direction but I think sometimes people aren't able to see it sometimes they need to be in the right place and time but I think you can definitely guide them in a certain direction yeah, we, we certainly can't find the meaning for them. Mm. But I, I sometimes give this example of a, of a, a man who was uh, dying of, of AIDS in, um, in a rural area. And one of the, the, the rural uh, hospice nurses went to go and visit him and he was very, very angry and he was in this little shack with, uh, with, which was very overcrowded. And he was very, very angry. And she, she assisted him to walk down the little pathway outside the shack. And he sat on a, on a, on a big uh, rock, mm. a boulder there. And she said to him, I want you to remove yourself from there for a moment, for a moment. And I want you to imagine that you're looking through the roof to see what's going on in your house. Obviously she spoke his language and they were mm. able to communicate very well and he trusted her. And for a long time, he sat in silence, and then she saw the tears begin to fall, and he began to talk. And what he was seeing, that he was looking through the roof of this shack, and what he saw was that his two daughter-in-laws, who he thought were trying to kill him, were actually trying to help him. The one was doing with going without sugar in order for him to have more sugar, and he thought she was poisoning him by giving him too much sugar. 
and the other one was helping in another way and he also thought that she was being cruel to him. And then there were children in this shack as well and he was very angry with the children because he said they were kept coming past and knocking him and hitting his feet and he said he began to realize that actually it was their way of sort of saying hello grandpa and as they, you know, the children knock somebody to sort of say hello and he looked at things totally differently. And he walked back. He came out as a very dejected man. He went back as a more empowered man into his bed. And he died a few days later. And when she went to go, the hospice nurse went to go and make a, a, a bereavement visit. She, They said, what did you say to him on that last time that you were here? And uh, she told them what he had said. And she said, why? They said he became so loving and kind and grateful mm that it was an absolute pleasure to those last few days of his life. Mm, mm. And that was just someone helping himself distance and then self-transcend his own pain to see what other people were dealing with. Yeah. And I think that's so beautiful and so powerful because you're able to see it from another perspective and then you're able to show people how they can see their own lives from a different perspective because when you're in it, sometimes it's so hard to self-transcend. It really is. And what about in our families, Tanya? How do you Mm. feel we can use logotherapy in our families? I think it's so critical. I think we often, especially in today's age, we get so caught up in the meaninglessness of life and we get so caught up in the technology and in the chaos of life and we kind of forget to empower our children to focus on their own meaningful moments and their own power and resilience within themselves. I think it's so important to to show them that and to empower them to focus on all those those elements within themselves, their own strength, their own resilience, just to kind of give them the tools and to show them how powerful they are within themselves. I have to agree with you, and I, I do believe that it's uh, it's the, the different the three um, concepts of finding meaning. And yeah. if we can help our, our children with those and actually show them that each time they are doing something, um, the, the creative things that they mm-hmm. do do, how that is meaningful. Discuss with them what is meaningful about it to them. Mm-hmm. They each have their own hobby or something mm-hmm. that they're good at, whether it's painting or dancing or mm-hmm. Whatever it might be, to show them that is one way of finding meaning. Yeah. Mm. And I think often what we really do overlook is the experiential values of life too. Yeah. Do you agree? Absolutely. Because I think that we we so, in terms of um, kind of instant gratification, we, we're so focused on things happening so quickly that we forget about the experiences that we have. And the experiential values are so critical in that through the experiences that we have and the connections that we have as well with each other and with the experiences that take place, we can, we can increase those values and we can have those, inter- through those interactions, we can have meaningful moments all the time. And I think we forget that often. We do, and we get very caught up in this material world mm. where, you know, this child wants the same sneakers as that child or, mm. you know, the costume, and you can hear the mothers saying, where did you get that? Mm. Oh, I must go. And, you know, they, they actually so often mm. are not pointing out to the children 
what's sh- going on around them. Yeah, and what's more important. What's more important. Yeah. And so, so often what's free in life also, which is the beauty of nature, of, yeah. of the world, of this changing seasons that we see, the smell after rain. I mean, I was just thinking mm. about the other mm. night, you know, mm. my little grandchild was here from Israel. And refused to come in out of the rain. And we actually just let her stand in the rain. And uh, she's only, she's going to be two in January. Mm. And she had her arms out wide. Mm. And the rain was actually coming down fast on her, you know. Her hair was plastered to her face. And she was laughing in the rain. It was the most beautiful, beautiful image. Mm. And I think so often we forget that. The beauty and, and, and the wonder of, of nature and what is around mm-hmm. us. And exactly as you said, I mean, those are, those are free experiences. You, you, you can get them anywhere. They can happen all the time. And I think that it's about teaching our children to, to value those experiences because they happen all the time and they can create them all the time. And I think that's what Viktor Frankl spoke about so often that you can, you can have a meaningful life just through your experiences. And it's about learning to find them and create them more often. And he saw that so often in the camps too, that the people who did manage to find the meaning within what was happening, within the severe suffering, Mm. were the ones who, and and something to live for, Mm. were the ones who were able to handle that incredible pain that they were in and that uncertainty. Mm, mm, definitely, it gave them a will to survive. It did, and mm. that's that's one of the big tenets of of that mm. will to meaning and that will to survive, mm. and that will to survive is very very powerful in humans. Uh, I, I think we we so often overlook it, mm. and um, I'm sure you've seen it in in your patients. I've seen it in mine, and I've seen it in babies in incubators. Mm. That will to survive is the strongest will that we have. Mm, absolutely. And linked to that will to survive is a will to meaning. Yes. And I think that when that's there, I, th- I think that part, so much of it is, it's within us. It's inbred. Um, and sometimes, especially when you're talking about children, I think that it's it's pushed down or it's negated because of circumstances. And I think if you are able to ignite it again, I think it makes them far better human beings. And I think as parents, if we're looking at parents or grandparents within a family s- uh, situation, we we can hand values down mm. and be role models um, to our children or our grandchildren. That that's that's our choice of of uh, of what we actually want to be. Mm. And it is all about choice. I think so much of it. It's, it it brings in. I think you mentioned earlier about attitude. Um, and if you if you focus on the attitude, it's the attitude to any given situation, and with attitude comes choice. So if the two go hand in hand, it's about the way that you are able to express that. And I'm sure you you notice attitude and gratitude as well in in your your work. How do you see it manifesting? And also when you um, when you lecture, mm. I mean I know that you also do a lot of lecturing. Mm. Uh, do people ever discuss gratitude with you? Mm. So I think gratitude, I mean, I think people speak about gratitude all the time. And I think gratitude is so important to be able to live your life with some form of gratitude. Um, I think that for a lot of people, especially in in terms of fertility and the work that I do, I often speak about attitude. I'm not saying that attitude is, if you have a positive attitude, everything is going to be okay and it's the only way to be. I think that people have to 
it's about looking at the attitude that they have and being able to look at whatever it is within the given situation um, or within their circumstances. If they have an element of gratitude, I think it makes their journey a little bit more manageable um, and it helps them kind of navigate the journey in a different way. And sometimes it gives them elements of just handling it in a different method. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it allows them, if they're able to shift their attitude, it kind of makes the journey a little easier. Not to say that it changes every element of the journey or every aspect of it, but I have many patients who keep gratitude journals who are able to look at within the extreme kind of pain and suffering of their journey, if they're able to shift their perspective and see it from a different angle and focus on the gratitude that they have, I think it makes their journey a little bit easier. Do you think mindfulness comes in with gratitude? Um, So I think mindfulness is important. I think it's important to be aware of what your circumstances are and to be mindful of the situation that you're in. Um, it's For many people, I suppose there are two sides of the coin all the time. Some people believe that if you are only mindful and always grateful, everything will be okay in this journey. And others believe if you have a, I suppose, a continuum of, a continuum of both. If you have, if you are mindful and you are, you have an, an attitude where there is gratitude within it, you can man- navigate the journey in an easier fashion. So I think I think mindfulness is important. I think it allows you to just be aware of what you're going through and to focus on different elements. And also to feel, the, as you say, the different elements and the different emotions that come in. Because someone mm. was saying to me the other day yeah. that she was just so irritated with someone who's so positive all the time. Mm. And uh, that they, she didn't feel that she could actually connect with the person because everything is always perfect and, and, and mm. what have you. And that she felt that she could never share anything of her own without feeling like a failure in this person's eyes. Mm. So... This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on Finding Human, and our time is going very quickly. My guest is Tanya Rubin. We've been talking about life's demands, and you can telegram us on 061-895-1019 or... Three four five one nine. I'm sure you have something to add to this conversation, um, Tanya. You know, uh, Victor Frankl talks about exemplary sufferer, the exemplary sufferer, and he says that these are role models and inspire us to reach greater heights. Mm. Can you think of anybody that that has done that in your life who's been a, a role model like that? You know, I met. A patient yesterday, actually, who I think, well, I think there are many patients who take on their suffering where they just take it in their stride. And I think it's the exemplary sufferer is often someone who is able to just deal with their suffering and kind of be an example to other people. And um, the patient I met yesterday was someone who needed a surrogate and who has been through intense and immense trauma. And I've often seen patients who, who need surrogates who it's often clouded in so much secrecy, negativity, and it's often um, something that people don't talk about. And she embraced this journey, and she kind of spoke to me about it yesterday, saying that she just felt so blessed and so lucky and so excited to be on this journey, knowing that there was someone that is willing to do this for her, and she's still going to be able to have a family. And she was so excited about it. It was the first time I'd met someone who 
just embrace the journey. And I think that for, for many people going through this journey, people, it, it's such a dark place and such a difficult journey that, um, the edit, it's, it's their attitude towards it that makes them, it's, their suffering is different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when we were speaking about attitude earlier, I wanted to say that, you know, sometimes, yes, it is, about being positive towards it, but it's also about being able to be real, being able to feel the feelings and feel the emotions. And it's not only about being positive. I think it's just about being true, be, you know, suffering in the way that you are and in the way that you feel your pain. It's okay. So that is absolutely true. And, and uh, Victor Frankl sp- spoke about tears that it showed mm. that a man was prepared to be Really real, real yeah. you know, and to to share that pain. Mm. Um, you know, I never forget also when I, when I'm actually thinking about patients, as you re- mentioned that I remember at hospice once, um, someone who was in incredible pain, and didn't want to take too much morphine because wanted to still, uh, or or any other analgesic because they wanted to still try and be with their family as mm. much as possible. And uh, this person actually said to me that if he didn't have his children to consider, um, he would go to bed and probably never get up. That's exactly what he felt like. But he said, I must live for my wife and my children and Mm. show them that I can live until I die. Mm. And I've never forgotten that, you know, live until I die. Uh, you know, mm. you, you mm. read that, you, you hear about mm. that. Mm. And here was someone actually really living, living it. Mm. He was definitely an exemplary sufferer mm. and a role model mm. to, to me and to so many other people. Mm. Absolutely. Now, going back to, to your, uh, your actual choices of, of logotherapy, you did it through UNISA, obviously. Mm. Mm. And did you, find that you brought it into your work a lot after that yeah definitely i mean i think um you asked initially how i got into it so i had i just stumbled across a course a one-day course um on logotherapy and i did the course and i just loved it and then i studied through unisa and i think that in studying in those three years at unisa um at the time i was searching for how do i find an illicit meaning in the work that i was doing so i think that i use it probably on a daily basis in the work that I do, not necessarily in logotherapy in its, you know, on its own, um, but I think that I bring elements of logotherapy into my daily work all the time because I think it, it fits in into any type of therapy. I think it fits into any any situation because you you can use the tenets of logotherapy over and over again and it becomes a part of who you are. So you can you can use it in any way. You know, that's so true. It does become who you are. Funny enough, you said you stumbled upon it. Uh, you know, there is, uh, logotherapy also talks about synchronicity and Tobias yeah. got quite a good paper <laughs> about, mm. synch- not quite a good, a very good paper on <laughs> synchronicity. But, um, uh, my, my road towards logotherapy also was, um, synchronistic. Karen Berman mm. uh, said to me, you know, that she, this is, they, they're going to be offering, this is the first course that they've ever done at UNISA, should we put our names down? We were both at hospice at the time, mm. and I said, yeah, great, that sounds great. Well, she had to pull out, and I thought, oh, no, I don't think I'm going to go. And then uh, someone asked me that I would give them a lift. She was uh, the oldest person who'd ever actually enrolled at UNISA. She was in her 80s, and... Um, I said, I thought, hell, I can't let her down, you know. (laughs) So I literally went for her, Mm -hmm. and um, it was a 
which was Norma Ostoka, and it was it we it was actually we we had the one a wonderful time. So it was mm. it it became part of my life very mm. much so. And what I hadn't realized was how often I'd used it anyway. And I think yeah. that's what so yeah. often people don't know yeah. that they are using it almost every day in their own mm. lives. If we just stop and say to ourselves. What is the meaning of my life right now? Mm. What is life asking of me mm. now? Those sort of questions. Why am I here? Absolutely. You know, what other question can you think of? I th- I always say to patients, you know, if we could live life backwards, we would have all the answers. So I think, you know, if you just if you just sit down and ask exactly those questions, you know, what is life asking of me? What am I meant to be doing? What is my purpose? Am I on the right track? Is this really where I'm supposed to be right now? And I think if you're able to ask those questions, you know, um, often people often say, why is this happening to me? And it's to rather kind of reframe it. And um, Karen Berman, you mentioned her, we did a talk a few weeks ago where we said, why is this not happening to me? So to kind of reframe it and look at, well, if this is the situation that I'm dealing with and this is happening right now, well, what am I going to do with it? What are the choices I have? What are the, what is the impact that this is having on my life and how am I going to deal with it? So I think that it's just to be able to look at the situation and reframe it for yourself and look at any situation that you're given, whatever it is, whether it's a real deep pain or suffering or even if it's a simple, in inverted commas, situation that you're dealing with right now, to be able to look at the questions and reframe it so that you're able to kind of push yourself out of it. And that is one of the greatest gifts of being human, actually, is that we are able to question, to Mm. reflect, to, Mm. to ask what this time is asking Mm. of me now. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson, and my guest today is Tanya Rubin. And uh, we've been talking about the many aspects of of logotherapy and how it works in our lives and in the lives of our work. Um, If you want to hear more about logotherapy or want to find out about their courses, you can actually just look it up on www.vfisa, one word, .co.za. There are many online courses now Mm. as well that they're starting, which is quite amazing. You know, uh, so often, uh, you know, people say they want to change the world. You know, you hear the the different in Parliament, you know, they're going to change the world. And I think that what so often people don't realize, they have to change themselves first. And also it's a matter of, of trust. Trust that we, we have the awareness and the freedom to make these changes and to really ask ourselves, are these changes the changes that are going to benefit us and benefit the world? Because we don't live in isolation. We live with connection to others. Definitely. I think that um, the connection to others is the most important thing. And I think it's about making the right connections and choosing our connections. Even the choice, the book, the choice that everyone's been raving about recently, um, just her... Her title, The Choice, is what's so important, that Mm. we all have the choice as to who we're going to connect with or not, what kind of choices we're going to make in our life or not. And I think those are so critical in terms of searching for meaning, finding meaning, just making the right choices um, in any element, in any area of what we do. That is such truth, quite honestly, and we're going to be ending in soon, but but that on its own, you know, the people that we connect with, the people we surround ourselves with, we have to uh, also understand. And um, 
Craig is telling me to wrap up. So thank you so much, Tanya, for, for coming. And I'm pleased you picked up your pencil and you were, <laughs> <laughs> has it been okay for you? <laughs> as long as I've got my pen. Thanks for your time, Sue. <laughs> it's been wonderful having you. We'll definitely do it again. Mm-hmm. We're going to end with, a, that's why uh, Craig's saying end now, because I've got the, the Buddhist monk, Gargapal Das, coming on and he's going to be talking about, uh, just let me look for it um, humanity is the greatest religion thank you Craig a man walking on the road in a small town found a piece of paper tied to an electric pole the paper had a small note written on it and so curious to know the contents he went closer and read what was written there the note read I'm a poor woman and have lost 50 rupees somewhere around here on the road. If any of you happen to find it, could you kindly bring it to me at this address? Due to a very poor eyesight, I can barely see. So please help. The man followed the address and found an old dilapidated hut with a much older lady sitting outside. As she heard the sound of his footsteps, The lady who looked really weak and frail asked, Who is it? The man replied, As I was walking on the road nearby, I found 50 rupees there and then happened to read the note that you put up on the electric pole. So I came over to hand this money to you. Hearing this, the lady began to weep and she said, Dear sir, at least 30 to 40 people have come over to give me 50 rupees saying that they found it on the road and that they read the note on the electric pole. Well, trust me, I didn't write that note. I cannot even see properly, nor do I know how to read or write. It's okay. Please keep this money and get something for yourself, said the man. As he was about to leave, the lady asked him to tear that note off on his way back. As the man walked back, he wondered about who could have written that note. And certainly, she would have asked every one of the 30 to 40 people who had come to bring her the 50 rupees to tear that note. But none had done it. The man mentally thanked the person who had written the note and thought to himself, if one truly wants to help someone in need and makes an attempt, so many more come forth to join the chain of kindness and make a positive difference. It takes one person's genuine will to help and then there is always a way. As the man was walking back, His spirit uplifted by the positive energy and the joy of serving. Another man walking by stopped him and asked, Can you help me with this address, sir? I just found a 50 rupee note and want to hand it over. Let us feel grateful for being blessed with what we have. And let us try and be instrumental in sharing even a tiny bit of what we have with those who are not only in need, 
but are utterly helpless let kindness and love spread in the world and let humanity be the ruling force